This episode of a Quick Time Out podcast is presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. Dr. Dish machines are the most advanced shooting machines on the market. If you haven't already, join top programs like Duke, North Carolina, Baylor, Alabama, and countless others and upgrade to Dr. Dish. And now save an extra $300 on select models when you mention Quick Time Out podcast. To find out more, visit drdishbasketball.com. It's great to have back on the podcast, longtime basketball coach and skill development trainer, Coach Gilbert Abraham. Coach, it's great to see you again. Great to see you too, my friend. Uh, congratulations are in order. Just hired as a director of player development for the Portland Trail Blazers. How excited are you about all that? Oh, I'm extremely excited, Matt. It's a wonderful opportunity. For those that maybe haven't kept up, can you at least fill them in recent stops that you've had? Uh, after uh, my stop in the Czech Republic, working with the Get Better Academy and the Injured Providers Lions and the, the Czech uh, Basketball Federation. I continued doing my work in the offseason with uh, Tandem as a director of performance and skill development um, in the offseason for all of their offseason trainees and you know NBA uh, players. Um, so I just finished coming off of that. And then, yeah, last season I was with the San Antonio Spurs uh, G League affiliate, the Austin Spurs. Chance to be back here in the United States with a team last year anything got to see in action that gave you a different perspective anything like that, that that sticks out one of the big things was was like i had been coaching players that had not spoken english mm -hmm. for an extended period of time for multiple years and so you end up developing your own kind of uh short english or you know i called it gilbert speak you know and then you know or you know like where we were we would say stuff sometimes that was a combination of czech english and then other languages and you know i ended up realizing oh snap like i'm just coaching english you know players that speak you know english like i need to adjust you know so that was pretty cool and then honestly like depending on the country you're in in europe and what league you're in you drive almost everywhere because everything is closer in proximity and here I am flying all over the place again. And I'm like, man, like this is part of the reason why it's it's such a challenging thing to keep players healthy because of, of the plane travel. You know, I would say those are probably the two biggest things. The G League season is is so interesting. It's a lot. There's a lot of talent there. But the practices are really probably the biggest thing that jumped out at me because the number of practices we had for a whole season in the G League, we had all of those practices before our first game in Europe and maybe more practices. And that's just to give you a lot of context, like, mm -hmm. and that really blew me away. So it's just like, that's the reason why this, why there's such a big difference in that style of basketball for the versus this basketball. All of us time is at a premium. Like there's never enough of it for basketball coaches. Mm -hmm. How did you guys go about maximizing that time? Just knowing that it is so limited. Film study becomes the be all and end all. You have to become a master teacher utilizing that. And then the other thing I would say that probably is the biggest thing is like you cannot waste time. So if you have a practice, every second is accounted for. Everything is is thought through. Um, your video sessions must be extremely thorough. No mistakes. Like, And then the other thing you really I think that's become, you know, honestly, you probably have spent a lot of time with this is feedback. Are you asking the right questions at the right times? And then can you get the right feedback from your players to assess understanding? Um, and this is something I'm still working on and trying to be a lot better at. And I've been challenged quite a bit by some really good people, you know, that have tried to help me with that. But it's like feedback is big. 
Can you assess for understanding? And then if you don't have it, can you correct it very quickly? Once you get to this level, the guys want to get better. Their incentives to getting better, their incentives to growing, their incentives to learning, especially if there's the possibility that you can change your life and make a lot more money. That part is different. And then honestly, like I was coaching multiple players that spoke different languages in a different country with a lot of other challenges and this was so much more fun. You know, I'm not more fun. Let me not say that. That was also fun too. This was just so much easier from that perspective. Sure. You know, there was not the language barrier and some of the other things. So, you know, but I, honestly, it's all been great. Any suggestions for coaches? Anything? Just improvement of those film sessions, things that you learned from that experience last year. Show the same clip multiple times. Like use pauses. Give the athletes time to watch the film without saying anything all the time. Let it run once or twice before you speak. And then something that I did, and I don't know, this is just my style, but um, every opportunity I had to use some type of graphic to point out what it is I was trying to make clear, I used it. So if I was trying to create a triple gap, I would use a big old triangle on the mm -hmm. on the, the diagram, make it clear what, what it actually is I'm trying to accomplish, right? defensively or working on certain tags, I'm making that very clear, you know, et cetera. So that type of stuff. And um, I think you can teach a lot without having to say a lot, which I think is a, a lost art. That's hard, especially for the younger coaches. We have all this information and we want to make sure that they know it and we're the coach. Like that's what you do. You give it to them. And our film studies changed dramatically when it went from me disseminating information to me simply asking questions and letting them do most of the talking. I think the problem is, is that we, we all forget that, you know, I've, what's this a quote? And I, I'm probably going to butcher it, but Steve Jobs said it, and I always like revisit it myself. But he said, if you look around at all the inventions that are made in the world, everything around us, and nothing was made by anybody any smarter than you. That perspective, the players are very smart people. They're very smart human beings, you know? Yeah. The tactics in basketball are not the most complicated things in the world, right? So I think the end all is that can we get this collective group to operate in a hive mind level of understanding, right? And that to me is coaching. That's leadership, that's mentorship, that's cultivating the group in a certain direction. And not to say the coaches are not brilliant because they are, you know, and they're definitely some brilliant coaches. But if you can tap into the collective intelligence of a group, the hive mind of a group, then you've done something special. A quick timeout is presented by Huddle, the market leader in video-based analysis solutions for basketball teams around the world. Huddle continues to make advancements to their suites of performance analysis solutions. Tools you know like sports code are enhanced by their industry-leading tech like Huddle Focus, an AI-powered smart camera that's built to integrate into sports code right out of the box. It captures and uploads videos automatically from any gym. Head over to huddle.com slash a quick timeout to get a peek at all they're bringing to the hardwood for every level of the game this season. Coaches, let me tell you about Corkhart, our newest partners here at a Quick Timeout Podcast. The Corkhart is an innovative storage solution that lets you lock up to 24 men's or 30 women's basketballs. Add the court board, and with the Corkhart court board package, you can have a locking ball court whiteboard combo. To find out more, visit courtcart.com. Again, that's courtcart.com. I saw that you had the chance to work the NBA Draft Combine. How was that experience, and mm -hmm. what did you learn from that? Well, I mean, it's this is what the fourth or fifth time I've done that, and it's not, you know, it's I'm there representing an agency, so mm -hmm. I had, you know, several 
players now that I've been preparing for their pro day, you know, mm-hmm. and it's it's a lot of fun, man. I feel like an alchemist out there because it's like you you're you're cultivating and you're building, and preparing for this moment, and then you have every NBA executive out there watching you, every single one, and you got to go out there and you know you have to perform. They have to perform. I have to put them in position to do well the things that they've prepared to do, and then also showcase the things that they haven't been able to do. And it's, you know, I got to do it for multiple players, and then shoot, even the the one I got to do when I went to Barcelona um, to do a little pro day, and I got to work out Serge Ibaka, James Naji, and uh, and Musa. I mean, that was awesome. You know, it's just like, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's been an awesome summer. You know, just from that perspective, getting to do that and helping all these players kind of achieve their dreams. Okay, so at NBA Summer League already underway, and I want to talk to you just kind of in general about the process of that, not anything specific there to the Blazers. But for that 10-day period, basically, where are you guys spending your time? Is this a lot of a group stuff? How specific do you get working with individual guys? What are we trying to accomplish here with this? I would probably just speak to every team, to be honest, um, and every team I've been around or been a part of that's preparing for Summer League. Yeah practices team practices and you're doing when you get the opportunity you know individual skill work but because of how much play they're about to endure you can't go crazy you know and honestly like even with a lot of the consultation stuff i've done over the years where i've gone to visit guys with nba teams and work with guys and do consultant work from that perspective like you really have to have a real idea about how to keep them healthy and also how to still get them better without doing anything crazy so it's like a lot of stuff you can work on with shooting and footwork without going crazy on their bodies you can get a lot accomplished in very short and compact space and get a lot of reps and work on details and technique and shooting you know force production you can do a lot on passing you can do you can do a lot on a lot of things i mean i would say that that's that would be the kind of the focal point you know uh with with the non practice-based stuff and then the practice stuff you're trying to put in stuff get the team prepared you know to compete because it's at the end of the day you're still competing and then there's it's really similar to g league in a lot of ways this this time of year with the summer league you know because mm-hmm. there's just a whole lot of uh variants some guys are going to play a lot some guys aren't you know you you know what i mean you don't know you know and there's a lot of games in a short period of time so yeah i would say that that would that would be the case for a plethora of teams you mentioned the physical health of players and just simply because of what we have available mm-hmm. to us and the investment physically that they have into each of these players and the information now that we have, I don't necessarily know as it trickles down college, high school, we probably think about that a little bit less, but for you as a, as a player development coach, how does that impact what you do with the players outside of that practice time? I mentioned this a couple of times on other shows, I know it's different at high school, like high school, you only have your hour and a half, two hours. So player development and team stuff and everything is, is in one, you know, college, you at least have some workouts you can do NBA. It may be, maybe different, especially here in the off season. We can talk about that, but how do you make sure that the guys are getting better, but also protecting them physically? Yeah. I mean, honestly, like this is stuff that goes back to the kids I work with in high school because they would have a high school practice or whatever. And then later on, they're coming to see me to train. And I have to be able to do an assessment. I mean, I used to use a color code system. Are we in the red, right? Like, are your bodies tore up? Are you yellow? Are you in the green? And for the most part, we would keep kind of the same modality and structure, right? But 
I would know, okay, this is a deep day, you know, and a deep day would be a lot of technique, a lot of, you know, very highly detailed stuff, mechanics, form, you know, all those kind of things, right? And then a dumb day, we can go dummy. We can be as athletic and as dynamic as we need to be because we're not worried about anything because you're healthy and we can just be very physically aggressive. And I like the throttle between those. Oftentimes I like the throttle between a workout doing that. So if we go really, really hard on two things, then we'll go to doing something deep and we'll go right back to doing something dumb. And then on days where it's like somebody's, they're gimpy and banged up a little bit or whatever, then the focus is different. I don't know I was talking with somebody about it recently, but do you remember the, uh, you, you, you read some of David Epstein's stuff. Anyway, he had a podcast, sorry, sorry. He had a documentary that he did called In Search of Greatness. Awesome. Like at, I, when I was in my office in Europe, I had it running all the time on one of the TVs, mm -hmm. right? When I had games on the other one, but I have this particular documentary running. And, you know, he would just talk about how they took a group of Circus Soleil dancers and, you know, you know how the repetitive motion and movements, right? The type of wear and tear you put on the body. And for three days out of the week, they had them do an entirely different form of mm -hmm. physical training. So they did an entirely different sport but the training of that sport. So you have a gymnast, a gymnast that's doing soccer, for example, or basketball or something else. And what they ended up finding was, is that because they added variance into the movement patterns of these athletes, they were healthier and better at their specific thing. And you see this so much in all these other athletes, Tom Brady and ballet, even going down the line, like when the, the Serena Williams sisters were young, you know, their father had them throwing footballs to work on their um, their serve so they can actually throw football with a perfect spiral, you know? And anyway, there are countless examples, like all of these kind of things that produce this kind of variance, right? That help build resilient athletes, which a lot of times when I talk with some of the guys now, Steve Nash, he was talking about some years ago, how um, they were looking at the MRIs, a lot of these young athletes that are coming into the NBA and things like this, this is on a podcast he did some time ago. and their bodies are completely shot. And it's not the amount of time that they're doing a specific task, it's the amount of time that you're doing the same repetitive task without variance. So if you look at the players from the 90s or the 80s that everybody says, oh, they were they could play 82 games and they were tougher and this, 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 and this, they had a lot more athletic variance in the developmental system prior to um, having all of this repetitive type of stuff. You know, And if you look at most of the research you can do you can spend the same amount of time. It's not the time is not the issue. It's the variance. It's this stuff that's kind of been fascinating for me about how can we keep players healthy and then how can we introduce variance so that they are the best that they can be. For you guys in general, as you work with the guide, you know, in the past, kind of what you've done, do you have this time of year, the off season, do you have specific plans for each guy or do you keep things pretty generic based off of position? Or is it because the game's positionless, everybody's doing the same thing? For me personally, I'm, I dial in very closely on each player and I'm trying to give them each. Like first, the first thing I think we have to spend 90% of our time addressing is, is okay, what do you need to do at a high level to be successful and to get paid, to keep your job and to be able to provide and all of those things. And then I think those things you spend 80% of your time on. Then that last 20% goes into, okay, what's the area of growth? And then the last five to 10%, all right, this is dream time. Like, let's, let's be audacious, let's be ambitious, let's be aggressive in the space, which I think every player kind of needs. But 
for example, if you're dealing with a traditional 3&D style wing, right, that needs to play off of pin downs and play get action or zoom action and it needs to be a high-level cutter and finisher at the rim and needs to be able to play out of short closeouts and drive and finish at the basket and navigate uh, off the dribble. And then defensively, it needs to be able to navigate screens. That if you do that at a high level, you you will be successful and play a long time just doing those things, right? Like So you can create, all, again, all kinds of variety of that, but you need to do that a lot. Okay, then let's work on isolation if it happens. Okay, these are certain moves you need to get into. Let's let's create the isolation scenarios and see how they do. Let's do all of that. You see what I'm saying? But let's save that for the last chunk of time, you know? And usually I like to do that in privacy. <laughs> so if somebody looks absolutely awful at it, they're given the opportunity and the freedom to just learn, you know, and to to grow into developing the skill set. So I would say I would say that that's how I approach it. And I've always approached it that way. You spend the, the bulk amount of time giving people the tools and the resources to be successful at their job, right? And help them grow into a larger role. Especially for the young guys, what are the main things that they're needing to work on and that you're addressing most? Usually, if it's a young player, like the thing that I think evaluators in general have gotten wrong, you know, and that they don't assess properly is, is that like, shooting is is like it is very difficult to shoot at nba3 consistently you know mm -hmm. no matter how big and strong you are at that age the processing and the physical tools that it takes to be able to do that at a high enough level it is very uncommon even the even the best shooters coming out of you know uh, into their rookie season in the nba rarely do they shoot over 30 percent. most of it has to do with you need the physical stamina to be able to do it the lat development the medial glue, the entire posterior chain, the core kind of, there's, there's something in your body that clicks once you've established the ability to do it. And some of the guys that I worked with for several years, I can physically see the difference when their bodies become in tune with being able to do it. And also variety, right? Because again, like, all right, can somebody shoot 35% or higher from, of just pure spot ups where there's catch and shoots and, and they're open? Do they shoot a high percentage then, you know, and then are we looking at that? And then if the answer is yes, that's different. But if you just look at the three point percentage and you're taking into account what they do off the dribble, what they do off of the move, uh, shot clock closing, isolation, right? All of these things. I don't always think that's fair personally, because it's, it's, this is not easy. It's not easy to do it at the highest level. So I would say that shooting, you know, at, is always a big thing. And then honestly, like for me in particular, being able to finish at the rim in a variety of ways and a prolific rate, because at the end of the day, the most efficient shot in basketball is a layup. The one thing you get fouled at most doing is, is laying the ball up. So every kind of finish that you need to have, you need to have it well rehearsed. You need to be extremely meticulous and detailed about being able to do that. And I take great pride in that. The majority of the guys I've worked with are all really, really high level finishers, you know? And then if they can, sorry, and then the last thing, not the last thing, but the next thing is ball handling. Like you have to be able to navigate to wherever you need to on the floor under duress, right? It's not about the flashy stuff, but if somebody crowds you and gets into your space, can you handle the ball and get to where you need to? Sorry. And then the fourth thing is uh, defense, you know, both on and off ball. So that honestly has been a fun thing to kind of implement into it. Like in the off season, you're kind of focused on safety. 
keeping the players healthy and but um there's a lot that you can do to, to create the variance to keep the guys healthy and you know put them in different situations to get better at things they need to get better at you mentioned the finishing how do you like to practice that with the guys mm, i mean i uh uh, a mentor of mine um, had introduced kind of three concepts um, when it came to development. So phase A being what you would call the traditional one-on-all stuff. Phase B would be basically a, any variety of guided type of or structured, you know, small-sided game type stuff, but with an advantage. So I probably would say advantage games. And then phase C, right, is live. For me, um, at first, you know, like, especially if a player, if a player already is like a pretty competent player, then I like to throw them in the fire right away. I'm just going to put you in situations and see what you do, you know, and then I'm controlling the decision making, you know, so I'm presenting myself at the rim as a fifth defender, or maybe I'm on the side of the defender and I'm creating scenarios where they have to finish when I'm on their side or I'm behind them or I'm in front, right? And then I want them to know and I can teach as we're doing it, what are all of the types of finishes you have to have in order to be successful, you know? So if I'm on your hip, your lead foot finishes, your, you know, uh, reverse rolls, you know, all of these things to avoid somebody who is, you know, long-armed and athletic, right? That can make it difficult for you. If I'm behind you, all of the things you have to have in place. And then if I'm in front of you, okay, when do you use a Euro, why? When do you use a bump euro? When do you use a floater if you have to? What is the when is the exact situation to use a floater? Because I think some people just use it just to use it. They don't understand when and why. It's in particular for a shot blocker that rotates over that you know you cannot finish around. That's the only time you need it. Otherwise, you don't do it because it's a very difficult shot. Runners. Anyways, all of those things. So and when there is a human body in front of me, this is how I can respond. Let me ask you about the defense now. How do you rip that? especially when probably a lot of times you're there by yourself and then how, because on the ball is dramatically different from off the ball, especially at the NBA level. Yeah. I mean, that's the reason why I love to do small group things. You know, um, if you can get small group training, I mean, if I'm the fourth person in the workout, you can get a lot done defensively. Um, you can work on how you want to guard dribble handoffs. You can work on how you want to guard pin downs. You can work on how you want to guard, um, you know, any type of flex screen, you can work on how you want to guard zippers, hop cuts. Uh, you can work on how you want to guard in transition in small spaces. You work on how you guard isolation. You can do all of it. You know, you don't have to go crazy. It's just, okay, this is the concept. And then you can kill it at a certain point, but they, they, they're they being disciplined. Oh, and honestly, number one thing is how you got pick and roll, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you get more bodies, then for me, like, and this is honestly speaking from my experience in Europe, like, you get more bodies out there than, and I can do any of the advantage based stuff where it's a defender coming back into the play. And that to me is like gold, especially if you can do that and then go into transition. You know, um, one of the ones that the Spanish uh, professor who I, I trained his son is uh, Coach David Cardenas. Um, his son, Alvaro, is a uh, point guard at San Jose State now, who was with me in Europe. He showed me this um, advantage style game where it was. You would do basically four on three in the half court. Um, and then it would be seven seconds, five on four, seven seconds, and then five on five, ten. And then you would get these players that would sprint into the play. And then you would just go five on five live after that. 
but our transition offense got so good because now if you don't produce a high percentage shot with that type of advantage in space, right, then I'm all over because it's built in. You should be able to know, okay, I'm filling the corners. Somebody's putting pressure on the rim, quick kick your heads. You're sprinting to space and you're bending the defense because you already have this advantage. And they got so good at attacking short closeouts, creating the extra pass, reattacking, and then they understood it. And then defensively, you're getting them to try to force them to get into these extra scrambles so that they can use enough on the time clock. And it was just awesome, you know, and I loved it. And and the cool thing was like, okay, by the time you get the five on five, all right, now we're doing, uh, we're trapping all the pick and rolls or we're hard showing the pick and rolls or we're, we're working on what we're doing in drop or we're doing this or we're doing that, you know, and whatever offense you want to run or whatever defense you want to run, you're working on both and you're teaching through both. And honestly, that's a really real type of skill development. Right. Like because at that point it carries over. And so all of that to say is every type of skill development, whether it's the block training or the small sided games or just actual live play, can you tie it all up? Can you can you create this collective kind of thing where you're you're hitting every part of development and getting the players better, both offensively and defensively? And that kind of circles back all the way to the beginning. I'm sure because of limited time, we have found that the more I can rip everything at the same time as a coach, the more efficient my practices are and the fewer holes that my players have in their game. Last thing here, kind of um, at the NBA level, a little bit different than high school and even some college programs. A lot of the time, your player development almost exclusively maybe in-house at the pro level. I know some guys go off in the offseason, get their own trainers and that kind of thing. And you're one of, you've been one of those trainers in the past, but, What's the, I was just talking to a coach about this recently. There just always seems to be kind of this butting of heads a lot of times, especially you go lower levels between the player development coach here on one side and then the head coach. And they each have their ideas of, of what should be done in regards to the actual development of the player. How does that work at the pro level? And, you know, obviously you guys are all under the same, you're getting paycheck from the same group. What suggestions do you have and how does that relationship go as far as this guy needs to work on this and get better at this and this is how we do it and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that I was one of those guys, you know, working with high school players and working with college players, you know, but I think the big thing for me and honestly speaking, like, you know, I've been fortunate, but I haven't had any conflict with any, high school to college coaches throughout my career, you know, from that perspective. But what I did was, is I would always go to them and I would ask if it's offense, right? What are the things that this player needs to be most efficient, right? Within what you do and how you do it. And then we work on those things. I don't think it's, I don't think this needs to be an adversarial relationship at all between high school coach and college coaches. But I will say when there have been issues and this is me watching other people that do this. It's at times you have people that are either highly competent, right? Or in certain spaces, they may not have an expertise in that space, right? And then we're we're dealing with humanity and we're dealing with egos at time, you know? And it's like, and it's on both sides, you know? Because it's like, okay, you know, you have a, a very successful winning high school coach, right? It maybe it is a challenge at times to listen to somebody who 
who doesn't have the resume that you have or hasn't been in those spaces, but maybe they know something in particular about skill development, right? Um, that can be an asset. Or sometimes there are times where somebody's working on stuff and it absolutely does not make sense or apply to what you're doing, right? And you have to have a conversation like, look, like if he wants to play, this is how, this is what I need him to work on and this is the way I need him to work it on. But I think as a, a general point of emphasis, I think, there should be a lot more communication from the aspect that, hey, these are the things I need and these are things to help this player be successful. And if these things are addressed and they have a better chance, right, at being able to play on the team, be successful. And if that's the case, then I don't think there's any conflict or there doesn't need to be as far as this is concerned. That's um, Coach Gilbert Abraham, Director of Player Development for the Portland Trailblazers. Coach, it was great catching up with you. Thanks for coming on the show. Sam, I'm grateful, man. <laughs>